greet each one in Jesus' name, our Lord and Savior. <clears throat> so the topic that was given to me was faithful fathers, <clears throat> and uh, I was going to try and do a uh, PowerPoint just to, I just was, had one slide just to kind of work off of, but then this picture was not going to let that happen, So and it's not a big deal. Um, but I wanted to work off of a um, an acronym uh, tonight, FATHER is the acronym, and so we'll look at some different aspects of fatherhood and maybe what uh, what happens when the father is not there. Um, have some statistics to look at and things there. But the first one, the F of father, I had down for faithful. Uh, obviously, the topic here is faithful father, so it seemed a, a good fitting one for that. But just starting with the definition of faithful, it's full of or having the qualities of faith, which is pretty simple if you break that word down. Um, but then what is faith? Uh, I know we had our Sunday school lesson this morning about faith, but the dictionary def- definition uh, would be allegiance uh, and then also belief and trust in God. And so being full of that allegiance and that belief and trust in God is something that I think lays a groundwork and a foundation uh, for being a father. And, and really, I realized that there's a lot of fathers here, and then a lot of what probably I'm going to say um, applies to ones that are I'm going to say active fathers, like to, we have children at home and raising our children, but I know there's grandfathers here too. So I think some of this can apply to, to grandfatherhood as well as far as interacting with, with children and um, just developing that relationship with grandchildren even as well. <clears throat> so what does it mean to be faithful in the area of fatherhood? Three areas within that that I thought of is faithful to God, faithful to our wife, and faithful to our children. And uh, we'll look at um, our relationship with our wife and our children kind of more as we go along here. But first off, faithful to God. Like I said, I think that develops a groundwork and a foundation because we're not really going to be able to fulfill our role very well, at least in a godly manner. I think it would be possible to, obviously, to be a father and to have a relationship with your children. But if you're going to lay a spiritual groundwork for your children is going to start in our own hearts. I had a, uh, a quote, and I'm not sure who it was from. Um, it was, I think it was from one of our ministers here. I mean, it could have been Terrell. I don't know, because I know some of the other notes around this note were, were by him. But the quote that I had written is, uh, we, we must first have God's commandments in our own hearts before we can teach them to our children. And I think that's exactly right. If, we, if it's not something that we have, we... I guess I could say that we're not going to pass it on if we don't have it ourselves. We may think that we want to, uh, but it's not going to happen if we don't have it in our hearts ourselves. So some thoughts as far as this idea of being faithful to God. How is our relationship with God? Do we take time to read his word to learn from him so that we can live that out and pass it on to our family? Do we read God's word with our family? So it's important to be in the word, but I think it's important that... um, our children hear the word read as well. Do we pray for our family? Do we pray with them? There's a verse, uh, James 1, 5, you know, if we need wisdom for fatherhood or wisdom for anything in life, it's a a pretty familiar verse, but James 1, 5 tells us how to get that if we don't have it. It says, "If if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Verse 6 says, but let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. 
the Amplified Version, verse 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom to guide him through a decision or circumstance, he is to ask of our benevolent God who gives to everyone generously and without rebuke or blame, and it will be given to him. I like that phrase that they added there. This is to guide him through a decision or circumstance, because a lot of times that's maybe when we're specifically looking for wisdom is what do I do here, you know, what decision or how is this supposed to play out? What does God's word have to say about it? That sort of thing. And, it, and we are told that if we lack that wisdom, we need to ask from God in faith. And it says, and it shall be given him. So we can, if we do that in faith, we can rely upon God to give us what we need in those, in those circumstances. Example uh, of faithfulness to God, I think a good one is Abraham. Uh, just, And I'm not going to turn and read anything there, but it's just the, the very familiar story, I guess, of how he was willing to um, offer his son in basically by killing him, offering him to God, um, to be faithful and obedient to God. And so I think his relationship with God was very foundational, and it was really it came first in his life because he said, you know what? Yes, I love my son, but if God, if you ask me to give him up, that's what I'm going to do for, for God. And so I think he's a good example for us as far as faithfulness to God and our, our foundational relationship with him that, that then guides us in leading our wife and leading our children and teaching them. And then faithful to our wife, we'll talk more about that later. I've got uh, um, one of the letters and points for that. And then faithful, faithful to our children, we'll flesh that out as we go along as well, just some different um, aspects here. Um, but there's a, there's a song, um, it's just called Father, AVB, Acapella Vocal Band sings it. And I was just going to read the lyrics, lyrics here tonight, um, and just it talks, and we'll touch more about on this, um, with the E of Father is, is emptiness is what I have for the E. But just the brokenness that a little girl feels if her father is not there. And so I just wanted to read this here, and then um, we'll touch on it again later. A little girl, she seems grown up, who's only four. She's so confused without a father anymore. And if you listen as she's on her knees to pray, each night so preciously her broken heart will say, Where is my father? Has he gone away? Why can't he always be here to stay? Where is my father? Does he still care? I need a father who's always there. He left their family and he headed for the coast. He left a time when they needed him the most. The emptiness is even worse than if he died. Caught in confusion, you can hear this young girl cry. Where is my father? Has he gone away? Why can't he always be here to stay? Where is my father? Does he still care? I need a father who's always there. He's never coming back. She wished that he would. It hurts because he doesn't care. But she has another, a father who's good. A father who will always be there. You are my father. Never go away. I know you'll always be here to stay. You are my father. I know you care. I need a father who's always there. You are my father who's always there. So we can see uh, the one of the lines that stands out to me in that is, um, the emptiness is even worse than if he died. And when you think about that, it, it that is true. So if... For this little girl, if, if her father would have passed away, that'd be one thing. It'd be out of his control and out of her control. And, and this other situation, him leaving, is also out of her control. But he's chosen to leave. He, it's not that death has taken him by obligation. It's that he's chosen to leave. And so just the brokenness that that produces. And so just something for 
us to realize and to think about that um, in being faithful to our children is to be there. And like I said, we'll, we'll look at that a little bit more because I think it's more than just being at home. It's, it's um, being present in some different ways, but we'll look at that later. The A of father I had for Abba or God as a father. So basically looking at God as an example. All throughout scripture we see that God is our heavenly father and obviously we have verses that Jesus relating to his father as as the father. But Abba is a word, it's a Chaldean word uh, for father and it's applied to God. And so there's a couple of scriptures here I'll read. Um, I'm not going to turn to these first few. I just have them written down here and I'll just read them here. I think maybe I've also heard this saying described um, that it would be like us saying daddy. So it kind of has that, maybe that endearment term. And so that's another way I think I've heard this word described. One reference that we see here in Jesus relating to his father in this way is when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Mark uh, 14, verse 36. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And so we can see it's in a time of maybe human, humanly speaking, it's a time of desperation for Jesus. He knows what he's about to go through, and he doesn't want to do it. His flesh doesn't want to do it, but he knows, you know, there's another verse that talks about for the joy that lied before him, he went through it and endured the cross. But from a human standpoint, he didn't want to, and he was crying out to his dad, take it away, take it away. But nevertheless, not what I will, but what thou wilt. And so we can see him using that Abba, Father term here. Romans 8, verses 14 and 15 says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. So that is us relating to God the Father. So I wanted to turn to a couple of verses in Genesis. So the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, 26 and 27. It's part of the account of creation here. So man is made in the image of God. And like we talked about, he is God the Father. So I think he's a good pattern for us to look at as fathers in how we relate to our children then. In verses 26 and 27 of Genesis chapter 1, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So it's just kind of neat to think about that we are created in God's image, if you really stop and think about it, that God made he he made something so that he would have i think fellowship of his own kind i guess maybe saying it that way but like i said i think or the the reason i would look at these verses is that god made us in his image and so there is a likeness there and and i think as he is god the father like i said we can use him as a pattern so if we look at some of the aspects of god's fatherhood to us as his children I wanted to, for us all to recite John 3.16 in unison. I think we all know it by heart. So let's uh, go ahead and recite that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him 
should not perish but have everlasting life. So the first one I had was loving. He's a loving father. Here we see that. Uh, it's a very common verse to us. But it says, For God so loved the world, each and every person in the world, and he was willing to have Jesus come to save us. And so just being a loving father <clears throat> and wanting the best for us, even though he knew in our fallen state it wasn't going to happen, and so he had to, had to have another way. And so he was loving, and loving of us enough to provide that and to provide that way back to, back to him. Matthew chapter 6 is where I want to go next. We'll look at a few points there. <clears throat> Matthew 6, and we'll start at verse 8. And we'll end up reading down through verse 15 here in a little bit. First, I want to look at just verse 8. It says, Matthew 6, 8, says, Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things ye have need of before ye ask him. And so, there's probably times when we can apply this to us as fathers as well. We probably know when our child needs sleep more than what they do, or before they do, things like that. Uh, But here we see a, a heavenly Father that knows what things you have need of before we ask him. Now, I think he does still want us to ask him. So I think there would be verses in scripture that would support that. But just, I guess, bringing up that he knows what our needs are. And so, and he knows each of our individual needs too, because he knows the number of hairs that are on each one of our heads. And so he knows our needs individually. And then, you know, just as a human, he knows what things we need and that sort of thing. And so he does want us to come to him and bring our petitions to him. But he is a good father and knows what we need. The Lord's Prayer is the next few verses, verses 9 to 15. And I just think that that in some ways brings out some aspects of his fatherhood. So let's go ahead and read down through that. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. For if ye forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if ye forgive not men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. In verse 11, we see there again, he not only knows what our needs are, but he provides us, it says, with our daily bread. And so I don't think this is something that we can say, well, just because I come to Christ, I'm going to have everything that I ever want. No, it says his, that we need. It's our daily bread It has the idea, I think, of what are our basic necessities, and we can rely upon God to provide that. And so, no, we may not have a big nest egg. No, we may not have you know the latest and greatest car or something like that, but he does say that he will... Um, provide us with our daily bread. And so it's, it's asking God to provide us with our daily needs. And we can trust him as a father to do that because he cares for us. Verses 12 and 14, 12 would be part of the, the Lord's Prayer, and then 14 is a verse after, we see the idea of forgiveness. <clears throat> and I think Terrell mentioned this maybe in his message this morning too, as far as just um, being a forgiving father. And then verse 13, we see protection. It says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And so it's petitioning to God and asking God for protection. Um, and we know that he can do that. And so he can protect just like we heard from Daniel this morning. 
So he knows our needs. He's loving. He provides for our needs. He is a forgiving father. And he protects us. And so, and our children, too, look to us for those things. You know, a, a four-year-old can't go out and get a job and provide daily bread for themselves. They, they rely upon their parents to provide that for them. And then just from the emotional and the spiritual side, forgiveness, uh, and then protection as well. They're very <clears throat> helpless and innocent, and they cannot do anything to protect themselves from the weather, from other things. And so it, it, they rely upon that safety of a, a, of a good home. God as a father is always present as well, ever present. We see that in Hebrews 13, verse 5. <clears throat> you can turn there if you'd like, but you don't need to, if you don't want to. Um, 13, 5, Hebrews 13, 5 says, <clears throat> Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And so we can see that God is always present with us. And are we there for our children? No, I don't think as a, as a home provider we cannot be in the home 24-7, but are we being faithful in um, providing with, with what we need and not you know, blowing all of our money on our hobbies and then not having money for things to eat? You know, that would be irresponsible. And so, um, so I don't think we can be present 100% of the time but are we there uh, providing when we can and, and being there when we can? Lastly, God the Father knows how to give good things. And uh, we see this in Matthew 7 and then also a verse in James. So we'll turn first to Matthew. <clears throat> Read a few verses there. Matthew 7, verses 7 to 11. Matthew 7, starting at verse 7, says, Ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For every one that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom, if his son ask bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he give him a serpent? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your, heavenly, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask? To, to them that ask him. In that, uh, the term evil, I have a, a King James study Bible, and the commentator in there was saying, the term evil is used here of man's sinful nature. It says, even sinful men are kind to their children. Therefore, how much more shall your heavenly Father delight to answer your prayers? The next one I have is the T in Father, and that's for time. And I think we've all heard, or most, if not all of us, have heard the saying that children spell love, T-I-M-E, time. And so it brings up the idea of, are we spending time with our children? <clears throat> and if we look at Jesus' ministry in, in Mark chapter 10, he did take time for children as well. And we know he was a busy person here on earth, healing and and uh, spending time with his disciples and teaching that sort of thing. And there was times where he would even try and get away and then the people would follow him and he wouldn't end up being alone when he thought he was going to be. And so uh, I know that would be very frustrating to me. <clears throat> but he took time for children. We see in uh, Mark 10, verses 13 to 16, And they brought young children to him that he should touch them, and his disciples rebuked those that brought them. 
But when Jesus saw it, he was much displeased and said unto them, Suffer the little children to come unto me, and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of God. Verily I say unto you, Whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. And he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And so you can see the, the love that Jesus has for children and the, the displeasure that it caused when he saw his disciples wanting to be like, no, just, just have him go away, keep him away. He, he doesn't have time for him, maybe is what they were thinking. But Jesus is like, no, 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 have them come to me. And he says he was much displeased when he saw that, and he wanted him to come. And then I like there in that last verse, it says, he took them up in his arms, put his hands upon them, and blessed them. And so I think that's a good um, picture that we have of Jesus interacting with children. One thing I thought of is, so it's it's easy when we, at least for myself, I'm speaking in my own experience, I'm assuming that others have similar experiences, but it's easy to get busy with the things that we're doing at home, and maybe we're working on projects around the house and chores, and, you know, obviously we work a day job and come home, and <clears throat> but do we take time to do what our children want to do? And so not just, you know, sometimes it's easy to think, at least for myself, well, Maybe I can take, you know, Rachel with me and be doing something and accomplish that and be spending time with her. But there's times, in it, and that's not wrong. I don't think that's wrong to involve your children in the things that you're doing because that's the way that they learn and see you doing things and how you handle things and how you solve problems and what to do and how to feed animals or whatever, garden or pull weeds. They, that's how they learn to do those things is by seeing you do them. So I think it is important that, that you involve them in that, but... I think the idea I wanted to look at here was spending time, quality time with them and doing what they want to do. So, and obviously when they're super little, they don't necessarily know what they want to do, but uh, children that are even Rachel's age, so Rachel is three, she, there's things that she wants to do sometimes, like she wants to go throw balls, she wants to go swing, you know, something like that. And do I just stop and do I take time and just do what she wants to do? It doesn't matter what it is uh, because <clears throat> it's not so much about what what I think that would be fun for her. She has an idea, and hey, let's do what she wants to do. So do we do that? Do we take time to time to love them in that way and to, and to just take time to do what they want to do? <clears throat> the H in father I had for the home or also her, meaning our wife. <clears throat> so here, the idea of being the head of my household and loving my wife are the two things that wanted to bring out here. And we get the idea of the head of the household from 1 Corinthians 11, verse 3. It says, But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So that's where we get our headship order. And so am I being faithful to my wife, like we talked in the first part about being faithful to her? Am I being faithful to her? Am I being faithful to my home in being a good leader, a good head of the household. Joshua 24, verses 14 and 15. Here again, this is a um, pretty common passage. We'll just, I'm just going to turn to that and read those uh, couple verses. But Joshua 24. <clears throat> we had a, I think we had at home a, <clears throat> Joshua doesn't have, I'm sorry, yeah, wrong Wrong book, Judges does not have 24 chapters. <clears throat> At home, we had a wall hanging, I think, that had part of this verse on it, so it's a pretty common verse, and you, you see it sometimes <clears throat> on different wall hangings and stuff. But Joshua 24, 
verses 14 and 15. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that verse is more than just maybe serving, you know, leading my household when I want to and things like that. It's not really based on feeling. It's, it's a, an act of commitment, and it's an, a choice that we say, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. This is what we're going to do. And I think that verse brings out, too, a lot in the leadership category. So that's a head of a home taking a stand and saying, this is how my home is going to operate. I'm choosing to serve the Lord. This is what we are going to do. And this is how things are going to be, and this is what we're going to allow in our home and not allow in our home. And I think there's two sides of leadership, probably more than that, but two of them that I thought of is just being that physical leader, like I talked about as far as just kind of that final decision maker, you know, allowing, what do we allow in our homes, deciding that. Obviously, we work with our wife on a lot of this as well. But ultimately, the, the, I think the final decision kind of comes down to the husband, you know, us as leaders in our homes. And then discipline, how are we going to discipline our children? Obviously, there again, that's a kind of a team approach, but there's some finality and some decision-making that needs to fall on the shoulders of the head of the household. The other side of leadership is spiritual leadership, and there again, like we talked about in the beginning, I think this is going to be, well, this is very largely influenced by our our own relationship with God, and then how, how do we, how does that funnel down, and what are we doing as far as being the spiritual leader of our home, not just simply the physical leader and helping, you know, make decisions, things like that, and discipline and everything, but it's what is the spiritual leadership side of things like. Things that I thought of for that is family devotions. They're, again, reading reading the word with our family, <clears throat> praying at mealtimes. That doesn't mean that your child or your wife can't pray at times, but I think us being the primary ones to pray for mealtimes, praying for our families, praying with our families, and then also just being involved in difficulties that may arise um, in our wife's life or in our children's lives. It's kind of all that combined <clears throat> as far as taking care of our home. So if we think of our wife specifically, you know, what does Scripture tell us to do? And in Ephesians 5, there again, it's a very common, uh, very familiar passage. Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 33. So we'll read a, a little section there. <clears throat> This is the chapter that kind of hits on all the different people of the household. So, um, sorry, <clears throat> I thought it talked about children as well. But um, okay, Ephesians five verses twenty-five to thirty-three. So that takes us to the end of the chapter. So, starting at verse twenty-five, reading through the end of the chapter. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church." For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. 
For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. I guess chapter 6 is what I was thinking of, where it goes on and talks about children obeying your parents. But anyways, there's instructions here in Ephesians for both the wife and the husband and children, but the ones I wanted to look at specifically are how it speaks about husbands loving your wives. And notice in verses 25 and 28 the, the level of love that it calls us to. So first it calls us to love our wives even as Christ also loved the church. And we know what he did for the church, right? So he died for the church. He loved it so much that he gave his life. <clears throat> and so that is a, that's the highest level of love that you can show is, is um, to lay down your life for someone or something or a cause. And here it's calling us to love our wives to that level. Again, in verse 28, it says, So men, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. And it goes on, um, it says, For no man ever yet hated his own flesh. So it just talks about, you know, in the way that we maybe view ourselves and take care of ourselves, apply that same thing, that same level of love to our wife as well. And so that is what we are called to do uh, as, as husbands, loving our wives. And then faithfulness uh, in verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. So inseparable after that marriage happens. <clears throat> the E in father I had for emptiness, and I alluded to this earlier. Uh, this is... Children are going to feel at least a level of this when there's not a father present in their lives. And we can see that if you start, I just, I think I Googled or something, stats, you know, with without fathers. I can't remember what I exactly put in there. But one of the things, the page that came up that I got this information from was the National Fatherhood Initiative. It's fatherhood.org. <clears throat> and the title of this section was The Proof is In, Father Absence Harms Children. And we probably, that's probably innate, like we would have just thought that. But it's interesting when you read down through what effects that a father not being in the home has on children and for the rest of their lives, really, and what they get involved with or don't get involved with. <clears throat> the uh, kind of opening portion of their that page said, There is a father absence crisis in America. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 18.3 million children or one in four, so 25%, live without a biological step or adoptive father in the home. Consequently, there is a father factor in nearly all social ills facing America today. Research shows when a child is raised in a father-absent home, he or she is affected in the following ways. And there's about 10 things here. It says they're at four times greater risk of poverty. They're seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teen more likely to have behavioral problems, more likely to face abuse and neglect, two times greater risk of infant mortality, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, more likely to go to prison, two times more likely to suffer obesity, more likely to commit crime, two times more likely to drop out of high school, and more likely to become absent fathers themselves. And so we can just see that, especially that last one where it says to become more likely to become absent fathers themselves. So we can see how this 
it just kind of could snowball on itself. So the more absent fathers there is, the more absent fathers it creates. And so it really is a, just a good reminder that there is definitely harm that is done when we are not in the home. And like I said, we'll, we'll, in the, the next one, we'll talk more about as far as to what that looks like in relationship and that sort of thing. And so just thinking about that we're a very blessed person if we grew up in a, in a home with both a mother and a father. Uh, it's not that we're in the minority, but there's definitely, you know, there's 25% of people who don't have that. And so just to counter blessings that if we did grow up in a home, and I think most or all of us did here, with both a father and a mother present. And then I thought of, you know, better yet, a home, a Christian home, where we were taught right from wrong, we were taught how to work hard, we were taught biblical values, a good work ethic, that sort of thing. So I think that's above and beyond what we're talking about here. They're just simply talking about, is there a dad in the home or is there not a dad in the home? It doesn't matter how he is, they're just simply looking at the stats of, of the census and, and is there a dad present or is there not? And so I think we're, one, very blessed if we have both parents in the home, but even on top of that, um, you know, if we were taught biblical values and had a Christian home, our, our foundation is just far um, ahead of where a lot of the world is, is at today. So last one I wanted to look at, the R in father, was relationship. And, and that's really what the whole, this whole fatherhood thing comes down to, right? And so the, wor- the word in and of itself is a, infers a relationship, right? So your father means offspring, that sort of thing. And so it's, but it's more than just being a dad. It's, it's um, I think, being present in a, a few ways, which we'll look at. But first I wanted to look at Ephesians uh, 6, verse 4. So this is uh, one thing that Scripture tells us specifically as fathers to do. And it says, And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So this is the specific teaching that we have that, that says fathers do this in Scripture. <clears throat> There was a list um, in uh, the one study Bible I have and a list of ways that fathers may provoke their children to wrath. And it's a, there's a fair number of things on here and maybe things that you may not, you know, think of just off off the cuff that would provoke your children to wrath, but it can. Uh, Injustice, anger, being too harsh, being cruel, displaying favoritism, suppression, sarcasm, making fun, and abusing authority. <clears throat> and a couple others, I had um, a list from, um, you know, listening to someone here, message or something, I had a list of kind of similar thing as far as to ways that, and there was some of them that overlapped that were the same as on this list, but a couple of them that were not on this list that were on that said not listening to them, just not listening to the child, and then not loving their mother as well was one of them. And so <clears throat> just things that we need to, be cautious of, and, and I know for myself, probably the biggest ones are maybe, you know, just getting angry and, and being maybe too harsh. I know Terrell talked this morning about, you know, being merciful, and so that was something that caught my ear as far as just, yes, we need to discipline, but discipline them, but also showing that merciful side as well. The commentator David Guzik said, parents certainly have the opportunity to provoke their children to wrath through an unkind Overcritical attitude that torments the child instead of training them. 
And then in his commentary, he had quoted um, somebody by the last name of Wood. It said, The gospel introduced a fresh element into parental responsibility by insisting that the feelings of the child must be taken into consideration. That word nurture uh, in Ephesians 4 here says, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word nurture would have to do with training. And here it more specifically is talking about spiritual training. And so that's what that word is meaning there. David Guzik said, training has the idea of corrective discipline and admonition more the idea of teaching. And so we see both mentioned there. It says nurture and admonition. So he brought up that it's corrective discipline and then, then teaching as well. Both, there again, two sides that don't necessarily have to occur in isolation. They can, they can occur together. As we correct them, we can be teaching them what is the right thing to do, what should we have done in this situation. The phrase there, bring them up, would have the idea of rearing up to maturity and also to cherish, nourish, and train and there was one commentator who said, let them be fondly cherished. And so there again, yes, discipline comes into it, but let them, let, we need to let our children know that, yes, we cherish them, we love them, and have that merciful side as well. So three facets of the father-child relationship that I thought of were just ways that we are present. Yes, being physically present is the first one. And so like we looked at it, there's huge repercussions if, the father is not physically present in the home, but also emotionally present and spiritually present are the other two I thought about. And so just being um, there for our children in, in all those different ways. So physically present, it's obviously it's impossible to implement much or anything that we've talked about here if we're not physically present in the home. And then also here again, do we spend, do we directly spend time with our children? Um, and the other thing I thought of is trying to spend, if you have more than one child, trying to spend some individual time with each one where it's not always, you know, spending time with all of them together. You know, maybe try doing something individually with each one, um, and maybe that doesn't all happen every day, you know, all the time, but just take some time to, you know, do what that child wants to do instead of just always maybe that one getting lost in the shuffle or, you know, feeling like they're always a group, you know, and sometimes it's good to do things as a group. But I think it's good if, if they have some one-on-one time as well. So being physically present and then emotionally present. So the thing I thought about here is that we can spend time, but are we, are we engaged with them when we are spending time rather than just our thoughts kind of wandering off maybe to things that we could be doing or wish we were doing? But are we, are we emotionally present as well? And the other side, the other thing that goes along with the mostly present is are we conscious of their feelings in different circumstances? You know, can we tell when maybe something that we said is hurtful to them and they didn't take it real well or it made them upset, things like that? And then also, especially as they get a little older, and this is not something necessarily that I have experience in because my children are old enough, but do we know when they're hurting or they're struggling? You know, maybe especially as I feel like as as children get to preteens or teens, you know, there's going to be some more struggles like that and things like that. And can we, can, do we have the intuition to know that they just aren't quite what they normally are? And hey, are, you know, are you struggling in something? And just being available and willing to be involved as well through those times, because that's what they, what, that's what they need is somebody to walk with them through that. And then spiritually present. So we talked some about this already, but are we a good example to our children? Uh, do they see us reading the Bible? And I, I've heard the idea, and I can't remember if it's something that my wife had heard, but also, like, 
in this day and age, we have, you know, Bible app on our phone and things like that. But I've heard the idea of, of that reading the physical Bible so that, because do, do, does our child know, if we're looking at our phone, do they know whether we're on social media or texting somebody or reading the Bible, <laughs> which is vast difference. But if they, ha- if they see us physically holding the Bible and reading the Word, they know what we're doing. And so that just being a good example to them. And then also, like I mentioned earlier, do we read the Scriptures to them? I think it's important that they hear uh, the Scripture. And I think they even talk about that babies in the womb can hear things, obviously, as they get later in gestation. And, and so um, the idea of them hearing the scriptures, regardless of how young they are, maybe, <clears throat> you know, and this is something I, I just started recently with, you know, we've always had kind of Bible story time and stuff, but I thought recently that, you know what, I think we should just start just reading it. And it doesn't matter if they don't necessarily understand it all, um, especially if we're reading out of the King James Version. It's a little maybe harder to understand. But I think it's the idea of them just hearing that word fall upon their ears and upon their hearts. And so regardless of how young they are. And do we teach them right from wrong? You know, maybe, maybe we know what's right and wrong. And we know what, what should happen in a certain situation, but do we teach them, maybe in situations that they have or that we have, do we teach them right from wrong? And then lastly, do we consider what God's word has to say about situations that are happening? And so this is something that, there again, my, my children aren't necessarily old enough, but if our older child comes to us with a situation, do we take them to the word and be like, hey, you know, does God's word have anything to say on this and what does God's word have? say about it and maybe there again we might know what the scripture says but it it may be important to go ahead and open the word and just read it to them and so that they can see for themselves and see okay this is what God's word said it's not just dad telling me this or mom telling me this <clears throat> and like we mentioned before our relationship to God will definitely affect this area of our fathering if if it doesn't affect the other the physically present the emotionally present it will affect our spiritual presence and so um, it's important to have our relationship grounded in our own relationship grounded in God. So am I physically, emotionally, and spiritually present for my children? 